Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Charged Up Studio Live, where small business owners get charged up for success. Are you a small business owner? Do you find yourself struggling through the many responsibilities that come with the title entrepreneur? Well, we're here for you. Charged Up Studio is hosted by Market Academy LLC, your prescription for what we call OPA. What is OPA? It's when you become so overwhelmed with the confusion that comes with business ownership that you become paralyzed and ultimately avoid doing anything in hopes it will take care of itself or you put it off till later. Does that sound familiar? I'm your host, Dan Olivo, and each week we bring a business professional eager to charge you up as they talk about the many things that keep you from moving forward with your small business. So are you ready to get charged up for success? Let's hit it. So good morning, Charged Up Studio listeners, and welcome to another episode designed to introduce you to the resources and hacks you need to help scale your small businesses. Today, we're going to focus on one aspect of entrepreneurship that many small business owners struggle with, financials. More importantly, your numbers and how to know whether you are on the right track or not. Our guest today has worked in accounting, finance, and taxation for years, right out of college. In 2015, she launched out on her own, and she now works with small business owners to ensure that they know their numbers. Please, let's give a warm Charged Up Studio welcome to Mrs. Linnell Green with Linnell's Place. Welcome, Linnell, to Charged Up Studio. Well, thank you, Dana. Always a pleasure um, to be in an environment where the commitment is to help small businesses because I, you know, we know that small businesses are critical to our economy and to, you know, just so many different aspects of our of our society and life. And I really appreciate you taking on helping, you know, small businesses and all the different challenges they have. So yeah, thank you for what you provide. Well, you know, it's 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 not funny, but small businesses, although small businesses make up a good 80 to 85% of our labor force and things like that out there. When we, when small business, when we refer to small businesses, if we refer it, if we refer to SBA's definition of a small business, it's 500 employees or less. But those are not the true small businesses out there. We're talking about businesses that are under 10 employees that are basically working from home. They may not have broken through the million dollar mark yet or, you know, or something like that. And it's important for us to recognize, although they are a risk 
And that's why a lot of companies do not pay attention to small businesses. They are also the backbone of the U.S. economy. And it's important that somebody is paying attention to that. And so therefore, that's where my heart is. I want to make sure that these small business owners get the resources and information that they need. And I know that's what you focus on, too. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get started, I like to break the ice with an obscure question to give our audience a sense of who you are. Can we do that? Sure, of course. Okay. You can be introspective. You can be humorous with your answer, however you want to answer it. Okay. Okay. If you could give any advice to your younger self, what would you say to her and at what age? I would say at at the age of like nine is what comes to mind. I would say, you know, don't be afraid. Like many of the things that, you know, look back through the years that, that I was afraid or concerned about or worried about how they were going to turn out, they turned out. And I'm still here, still standing. And um, yeah, and I could have skipped that stage of being afraid and yeah. and nervous and worrying about whatever I was worrying about at nine, probably getting my favorite ice cream. But, you know, it's just that. That's funny. That's funny. You know, I don't remember being worried when I was small. I remember always being so headstrong that no matter what I tried to do, I was going to do it. Now, sometimes I failed. Sometimes I didn't. Sometimes right. I embarrassed the hell out of myself. You know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I could sit there and say, OK, I tried. I tried. So anyway. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's, absolutely. that's, absolutely. that's good. To well, know. my mom would agree with you on that headstrong part with me. I think I would, I gave her a run for her money. There were six of us and I was number two and I was always, yeah, busy. There was, <laughs> there was seven of us. Uh-huh. And what number are you? You're the oldest. Okay. Oldest. Yeah. 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 Well, that oldest. gives you survival instincts already, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I had to set the example for everybody that's else. Right. I didn't do what I was supposed to. They didn't get to even try it, you know, so they held me accountable for things they couldn't do because I screwed up. Yeah. (laughs) I used to tell my mom, I said, you know, I never want an only child and I never want one to be the oldest child. (laughs) And she looked at me and said, how are you going to do that? And I said, I'm going to have twins. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, and I couldn't have been more than maybe six, seven, maybe eight when I said that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was just so tired of having to set that example for everybody else. You know, I just I just recently went to um, my second to the youngest sister's 60th birthday party. And we came to the realization while we were there that. There's six girls and one boy. Wow. Okay. All six of the girls were going to be in their 60s within two years. Mm -hmm. All six of us. That means my mom had six girls or six kids by the time she was 30. Before she was 30. Oh, my God. It's just amazing. (laughs) I couldn't imagine. 
I could not imagine. Well, imagine the financial load on a family doing that, you know. But I um, know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah my, exactly. dad worked, my dad worked constantly. So so let's get back to our show here. Okay. And you know, I I working with small business owners, one of the things that I notice that they struggle with constantly is they understand the concept of profit and loss mm -hmm. but when it's on paper they don't know how to decipher between the numbers that they need to know in order to know whether their turnover is right whether you know the the numbers that they need to know so before we get into the numbers tell me what you have found working with small businesses is the biggest hurdle for them to overcome? Well, I think and when we talk about numbers um, specifically, Dana, one of the things that I've found is that they're scared. So that they don't understand the financials, they're nervous about they're having a, a accounting system. So one the first mistake is they depend on somebody else. They, you know, have a cousin or an accountant and they think about it, I need it for taxes. And they push it off into the corner in, in some kind of mystery box. Um, and they just watch their cash balance and, you know, can I do what I need to do today or this week? And they live by that cash balance. And that's, that is, you know, one of those, you know, as you know, that's definitely not the way to grow a business or scale a business. If you're just, you know, checking in with the bank in the morning and seeing, can I live to see another day? Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I see a bit more looking at their system, whatever system they're using, if especially if they have a point of sale system where they're actually track, you know, they can see the activity every day. They may know like, oh, I had 10 sales today, but they don't know like you made whatever, let's say you made $5,000 today. You don't know that that actually cost you $5,015 after shipping and the product costs and your employee costs. So how to get the true cost of the service or the product that they're selling so that they know if they're being profitable or not, or if they're priced correctly, or you know, the, all the questions go on and on. But I would say those are two critical pitfalls ignoring it or thinking that it's some kind of mystery thing in the corner or not paying attention close enough to know that you, whether your business is profitable or, right. or not. And you're, you're absolutely right. You know, properly priced with whatever service or, or product you're selling. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And when I work with my customers, the first thing, you know, or most more, than, more times than ever, Okay, they'll tell me, okay, I mark up my product or service, okay, by 100%. Okay, so instead of $50, they're charging $100. And that's what they, they, they automatically think, let's, let's mark it up, you know, double it. And I tell them, okay, have you taken into consideration what is your overhead expenses? What are your cost of goods? You know, what are, you know, have you taken into consideration for those? Are you charging your customer for travel? Are you charging them for shipping? Are you, are you including that in your overall price? Because by the time you go and put that in, if you're covering it, you've eaten up your profit margins. You know, so 
what I get them to do is sit down and let's absolutely a pricing schedule together. Let's put a strategy together. And if you're working with distributors, if you're working with salespeople, you have to build in that commission that you're going to be paying. That's right. That's right. You know, so how do you talk to your clients when it comes to putting pricing schedules together? What, how do you approach that with them? Well, of course it's unique for every industry, right? So um, I think one of the things that they also have to be aware of is what are your competitors doing? Because you also don't want to be way, you know, they're like, well, my sales are down. Well, your competitors are 25% lower than you. And if you can't sell for that price, then you need to re-examine the whole structure of what you're doing. But I start with, but you have to have a system that what's happening in your business day to day. And you have to have a practice to look at those numbers every day. And, and I, as much as people are like, ah, every day, Linnell. Yeah, but it's a practice. You brush your teeth every day. It's a practice. You know, you do, there's maintenance things in life that we do every day. That's a practice. We don't ask ourselves, oh, do I feel like it or not feel like it? It's a practice. So the first thing is, is a system. And, and I tell people like, don't complicate it. Don't get the biggest accounting system that's going to require you to understand the chart of accounts and accruals and all of this. You don't, don't start there. Start with something that you know, based on your current comfort zone, that you're going to be able to actually honor that there's going to be a practice. It's simple enough that you can look every day and that's not your bank account. It needs to be some other system of your bank account. For uh, That's the first thing. Have a system. Make it simple. Make yeah. sure your system is simple. Make sure it is a system. Make sure you're looking at it daily, um, weekly, monthly, and of course, right. um, at the end of the year on a cumulative basis. Right. The last thing you know, I think that's important is that they use their financial activity as a way to see what's happening in the past, be clear about what's happening in the present, and use it as a tool to project the future. Right. So the intimacy that you want to have with your numbers you have to be willing to you to be honest with yourself about what's happened in the past. Be clear about what's happening right now, because as you and I know, the world is changing quickly. Your past strategy may or may not be effective currently. Right. And you have to be willing. Those numbers are, are going to help you see, wow, I was I was increasing steadily so much every month before, and now I'm declining. What's happening? If you're not looking at those numbers then you're not asking yourself those questions. Right. Then you can use those same numbers, of course, to project into the future. You might say, well, you know what? I, I actually don't know if this product that I love so much is actually gonna carry the day into the future. Well, you don't know that if you're not actually looking. I wanted to share like a quick story. There was a, a, a cafe that I was working with and they had all of these wonderful things on the menu. But some of these things, the food needed to be marinated three days before. People had to come in early. There was overtime. So this sandwich that they were selling for $15 cost them about $35 to make. And it was amazing because they bought, you know, organic chicken, they marinated it, all of this, you know, these herbs that they got at the farm. And like, 
It was amazing. And, you know, when we look at the numbers, I said, you guys, there's no way. This is not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. So we just went through their menu items. It's like, let's look through a different lens, not what is the tastiest, I, as much as that's important. Let's look through where the, the products that give you the highest profit margin. Exactly. And then exactly. look to see what you can add to the menu that has higher profit margin. And then if you have a couple of those specialty items, we're going to have to charge at least what you're making, you know, where you can make a small, even if it's a small profit, it has yeah. to be, if somebody wants to pay $40 for a sandwich, God bless them. But you know, it's just, yeah, but all of that. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's exactly it. You know, when we sit down and we do the pricing structure and, and more importantly, when I sit down with my clients and we, plan out the next 12 months the first thing we start with is revenue generation yeah and and, and diversification is critical when we're Absolutely. talking about revenue generation and so i force them to look at the different revenue streams that they have and the profit margins within each of those revenue streams to determine okay how much of this product with a say 40 percent revenue 40 percent profit margin Okay, do you want to do in the next 12 months versus this one that may only have a 15% profit margin? Okay, exactly. let's balance it and let's determine maybe the 15% is your lead in to the 40%. Right. You know, so or or the the upsell, the 40% is your upsell. So, you know. These are the kind of things that we need small business owners to understand is there's a science behind this whole process. Absolutely. Yep. And um, so, you know, moving forward, okay, let's talk a little bit about what should be average profit margins, um, net, gross, for a business to pretty much succeed. And I say average, like I tell my yeah, customers. That's a great, yeah. that's a great question. And they have to pay attention from an industry standpoint. Like for example, that cafe, they yeah. say restaurant profit margin. If you get 3% profit margin, then you should celebrate. Well, okay. <laughs> 3% of what, you know, that's the, that's the industry average. So when you start, you know, doing that, then you have to, that's just restaurant, the food and that part. So then that's why alcohol becomes so critical because yeah. the drinks are where you actually make your money. Right. So if you're not people that, well, I don't want to, I don't want a liquor license. Well, if you want a restaurant and not a liquor license, it's going to be a, a tough road. Yeah. So part of it is that research up front to know that certain industries, all that information is public in terms of what you can expect per industry. Also have a construction company. One of my clients is a construction company, a small construction company, which, you know, it, one of the problems was he bids on these projects. He's like, oh, I got the deal. I got a $66,000 contract. And then we map out how much it's going to cost him, the labor, the this, and that. I'm like, yeah, but it's going to cost you $100,000 to do this deal. You need to go back to them. Don't, you know, like, don't just celebrate on that. But I mean, to your point, Dana, which is critical, that profit margin varies drastically from industry to industry. So they need to know, even the 
IRS does it, SBA. There's many places that they'll give you, like if you're making $200,000 a year, 300,000, these are the average expenses you can expect. This is the profit margin you can expect. I think the footnote to that is small business owners don't typically pay themselves, which is right. also a mistake. <laughs> and when they're calculating profit margin, pricing, all of that, that they should, they have to feed, unless they have somebody else covering their household expenses, then they need to incorporate their salary and not just go in and pull their money for rent when they need it or pull their money for their car note or whatever it is and, and hope and cross their fingers that it all works out. Right. No, definitely. And let's talk about that, you know, as far as not pulling a salary. Okay. Some people, um, what they do is, um, you know, and I, I had done this for many years, okay, or many months or whatever you want to call it, okay, I put, I invested a lot of money in the company. And then what we would do is an owner's payback, all right? So we put, we take a loan out, I mean, we take a loan payment, and that's how I was making my, my money at the time, okay? So it was, it was an owner payback and an owner investment is what it was until you start taking a salary, you know, and things. Right. So there's ways that you can do that. One of the things that you, and you you probably see it as much as I do, is the mixing of personal and business accounts. And, you know, um, a lot of times they start out a business and the business relies on their credit. So they'll get a couple of credit cards. It'll be in their name, all right? And they'll use that credit card for business and personal expenses. Mm -hmm. All right. And what I tell them is you get a credit card that's only for the business. You only use it for business expenses until you can build up credit with the company. So do you see a lot of this when you're working with your small businesses? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, but I love funds. what you yeah. said. I love what you said, using that company draw and then paying yourself back, because when you don't do it that way, then you create a taxable transaction for yourself. When you, There's no point in paying yourself salary if you've invested all of your personal money, pay the loan back. But that yeah. also requires keeping track, right? Yeah. How much yeah. money have you put in? How much yeah. money have you taken out? And having a system, once again, um, yeah. you know, for that, because it is important that you separate your company from your um, personal transactions. I used to be an auditor in my accounting life. One of the things that I did, I was, when we had to audit small businesses, that there, it was all mixed in together. So it's even, even forget about the audit, as a as a CEO of a small business, it's hard for you to know how much money are you really spending? How much money are you really making? If it's all just in there swimming together, you have to be very systematic. Like to your point, separate credit card, separate bank account, separate everything so that you can at a, you know, have that stream of, of transactions clearly, you know, you available to you for what, what we mentioned, past, right. present, future. If you have it all mixed together, how much money did you make? I don't know. I know how much I spent, but that, you know, but that's yeah. that's everything together. That's not useful. Well, when I when I speak with my clients, you know, and we talk about profit margins and things like that, you know, 
even when I speak to them about gross and net and net net, you know, and things like that, um, we run into an issue that they don't understand, okay, what the difference is between gross and net and net net, you know, and, and having mm -hmm. to, why don't you go ahead and explain to our customers what we're talking about when we talk about revenue? Great. Yeah, so revenue, just the simple, and I'll stick with my my uh, cafe example. So we yes. can kind of use that as our little uh, case study today. So in the cafe, gross sales are all, at the end of the day, they sold however many sandwiches, so all that happened. And that's what the, the clients paid them. That's the gross, right? But included in that gross, at least in most places, is also sales tax. And so that is not your money. So you don't include, because basically is they count total cash in. Well, all of that's not your money. Yeah. So let's make sure where we say gross, we actually are referring to the gross sales net of the sales tax that's not your money, right? Okay. So it's, it, it's that's the first layer so if you look at all these people bought things today they they bought let's say they spent we brought in a thousand dollars a hundred of that was belongs to the state board of equalization so i my gross today is nine hundred dollars so then i have to look at what i sold today and to your point earlier some of those things have higher profit margins than others right so i really if i really want to understand then I have my system set up and a lot of point of sales will do it. You can print your report at the end of the day of what you sold and how much you sold. Then you have to know yourself how much it costs you to make those things. So let's assume you have all that organized. Then you're going to get to your net that you made that day. So you made your gross, you took out your sales tax. Then you're going to take out your cost of goods sold, as you mentioned earlier. That's what did, when we say cost of goods sold, what did it cost you to sell those goods? That is, there's a, there's direct costs, which is in this case, chicken, the bread, the blah, blah, blah. And then there are the indirect costs. To your point, the overhead salaries, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Most small business owners don't have a real solid structure around managing direct, maybe better with direct costs, less, you know, uh, focused on indirect costs. So the direct costs, I would say, absolutely, you want to spend the time to know the direct costs. You bought this widget for 10 cents. You want to sell it for 20 cents. Is that actually, does that actually make sense if you take direct costs into consideration? So what I recommend, I know it's a long story around the bush, but what I recommend is that they, once they know their profit margin per product, that they use a, a generic, just for simplicity's sake, will do the, the whole like, what is it costing you? Your indirect costs are however much per month. And we'll come up with the percentage that your normal indirect costs yeah. are approximately whatever percent of your of your um, total sales. Product and sales. then just add that on, exactly. Because you can't, it would be, they would be sitting there all day and night. They wouldn't get anything done if they were right. trying to do that, as you know. So right. at having a percentage, and why is that important? 
Well, indirect cost is really what honestly, and, I, and as you know, is where people get tripped up. It's a, well, I, I had 50% profit margin. Yeah, but you, you have a, you have overhead, you have insurance, you have, you know, employees, even if you don't, even if it's just you and one other person or contract worship, you have your FedEx, if you're shipping things out, you have your website, you have your, you know, the list goes on and on. You have a social media person that you're paying whatever by the, by the day or a, a, a consulting fee. So you have to cover those costs as well. So when you think about it, your profit, in order for you to actually say you made money, that means you covered your direct costs and you covered your indirect costs. And then the last thing is like, let's say you've done all that successfully. You had gross sales, you took out the taxes, sales tax. You had, you took out your direct costs, took out your indirect costs, and you actually have money there. Well, now you're gonna have to pay income tax on that, separate from sales tax, right? So that's the other catch that you say, oh, well, I, you know, I had profit of X, Y, Z. Yeah, but that's still not all your money because Uncle Sam wants his piece of that. And it, depending on what state you live in, your state wants a piece of that. So right. then I recommend set, a, set aside the sales tax, don't even treat that like your money. And then the income tax, set it aside so that quarterly you pay. So you're not, because that's the other thing, Dana, that people get themselves in a hot mess over is their taxes. A lot of times the, the taxes is what, you know, our, Mr. S uncle Sam is not your real uncle. And when no. he knocks on your door, <laughs> you know, saying, I need whatever, and you haven't been paying him for however long because you've been trying to borrow from Peter to pay Paul, then sometimes it's a sad day when the right. tax thing situation yeah. down. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, and, you know, with me personally, you know, I automatically, I have separate accounts set up for sales tax and my federal tax. Okay. So the minute money comes in, I automatically deduct what I need to and put it into that account. So when the bill comes due, I know, you know, but the other thing that they have to take into consideration when we were talking about your indirect costs, your indirect costs are also your, uh, your uh, salary taxes. Absolutely. Your, your insurance, right. your, right. your salary taxes, you know, yeah. that can be passed through as a cost of goods, indirect costs. Right. But there are some, you know, that do not fall into the category of cost of goods. And that's right. just that's overhead, right. you know, marketing costs, um, rent, you know, all of that all is, you know, separate. You're paying the revenue, uh, you're paying the income tax on the total gross or the net gross, but then you take out, yeah. okay, many of my customers get confused when they start talking about EDIBA, okay? Explain what that is. So it's interesting. So there's earnings, I, I always, we use that acronym, say, to, say what those Earnings, earnings before taxes and interest, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there is, I know it's like, I, I was like, is it interest taxes? Yeah. So when you think about it, for the most part, for small businesses, that's not going to be a thing. They need to understand it. But as you get to larger businesses, a lot of times 
that's number we start to look at what the investors, so it becomes more of an issue later on. But just for conversation purposes, it's like you create, you calculate your, if we use our example, gross, you have your gross, take out your sales tax, and to your point, all of your direct costs that are directly cost of goods sold, which could be salaries, you know, product, all of the things that you know directly relate to what you sold. And then there's the indirect cost, which is what we talked about marketing, your website, your, you know, overhead, if you're paying rent, all of that. So those expenses come out. Now, interest is because of how it's treated for tax purposes and how it's treated, then it comes, um, many times you'll see the financials, you get to net income, but it does not reflect taxes and it does not re reflect interest mm -hmm. expense. Okay. So long, like from a corporate it's, standpoint, it's, because it, we, it have interest, we have all kinds I, I of mean, other, I got, can get confusing. It can get very confusing. Yeah. I got A's in my accounting classes, but I tell you what, I still can't stand working with you. <laughs> so I have an accountant that works with me. I just I use QuickBooks though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And using QuickBooks, all I have to do is pull up the reports. I just enter yeah. my expenses and everything like that. So yeah, you know, well, QuickBooks, QuickBooks is, is reasonable. I think that that's yeah. smart for you to. That's back to having a system. It can't be Excel spreadsheets. No. Yeah. No. And they've got other ones. They've got some that's called zero and, you know, that are fairly small for small businesses, but it right. still does the same thing. You enter yeah. your expenses, you enter your revenues, it will deduct your taxes, you know, it'll figure all that out for you. And all you have to do is transfer the money, do what needs to be done, you know, but, um, but you, you do need to have some kind of a professional who understands the taxes side of thing understands the quarterly filing understands the annual you know uh tax right. you know filing you know stuff like that um you know because what, what, as small business ahead, owners sorry. yeah as small business owners we get so busy working in the business that a lot of times this stuff gets put on the back burner That's and right. you can't have that you've got to have somebody working for you on your numbers and that's right you just need to know what the numbers are absolutely and let that person tell you okay we fell short this month we've got to make up for this month you know that's right which is why you want to have an annual growth strategy so that you know okay each month you need to be making this much in revenue and if you can't meet those numbers, then you need to adjust your, you know, your, your revenue and your expenses and everything else, you know? So, but That's just right. to go. That's right. Well, yeah. one thing you bring up a great point, Rena, they, that when you're like, you're coaching them, which is beautiful on projecting off into the next year and looking at various revenue streams, their financial system has to capture. Cause that's the other thing. If you don't, you say you have four revenue streams, but then you dump it all in the same pot. So then at the end of the month, you don't know how much you made from each one that defeated the whole purpose. Yeah. So your, your, your system has to be consistent with your strategy is really my right there. That's exactly it. And it's a matter of assigning different uh, code numbers or something That's like right. that to your different revenue streams. Um, you know, there's so much 
magic that goes in behind the numbers that we don't pay attention to as small business owners. We don't have to pay attention to them. Let the accountant or the bookkeeper do it. But you do need to know the bottom line. You need to know, That's okay, right. this revenue stream, I made this much in revenue and this much in profit margin, That's net right. profit margin. Okay, do I want to increase that? Or am I going to use that as a loss leader and upsell to something that's going to be even more of a profit margin? And so that's that's really important. So do me a favor and explain to my audience the difference between a profit and loss and a um, financial balance sheet. Yeah, balance yeah, sheet. Yeah. Okay. So the profit and loss are the is really what we've been talking about today, yeah. where you can see your your sales and your cost of goods sold and your direct and indirect expenses and then ultimately your taxes and and your net net profit. Right. So that's the profit and loss, which we're pretty much most of us are familiar with that. Mm -hmm. So that's for a period of time. Right. So you can have a profit and loss for a month, for a quarter, for the year. You can compare that to the previous year, that's for a period of time. And it could be any period of time that you are analyzing at the time. Now the balance sheet is a picture of time. So that's like, as we walked into your financial life and took a picture. So the balance sheet says, oh, as of today, the end of the day today, we had $10,000 of cash in the bank. We had $5,000 worth of receivables that our customers owed us. We had um, inventory our records of $25,000 sitting there. And then we have liabilities. We have accounts payable that we owe to our vendors of whatever 5,000. We have payroll taxes that we have due that are payable that are sitting there. And we have income taxes that are due and whatever other liabilities that we might have. So basically the balance sheet is a picture of time. You can take that picture anytime. If you're if you're using QuickBooks, you can go in and say, I want today's balance sheet. It's gonna give you a picture of time just today, not a period of time, like the profit and loss, a picture of time. So if we look at that, how that benefits us is to your point, you can look at your balance sheet and see, wait a minute, I have $10,000 in cash. I have $25,000 in payables that are due in the next 30 days. How am I going to pay my bills? Hmm. Like you have, you don't have enough cash to pay like your current liabilities. And you know, you have a quarterly tax thing due. All of that is going to show up on your balance sheet. It's not going to show up on your income statement if you're doing a cash basis income statement, which most small businesses are, then you're not going to see what's coming down the road as far as things that you owe the money, but you don't owe it yet. So you'll, you'll see it on the profit and loss when you pay it. But if you, if you manage your balance sheet, you'll have what you owe coming up. You'll see, oh, my sales tax balance is accumulating at the end of the quarter. I can see on my balance sheet how much I owe. I can see on my balance sheet how much I have in the bank. I can see on my balance sheet what I have in inventory. Um, that's the short of it. One's a picture in time, one's a period of time. Okay, okay. 
you know, I've never heard it explained like that. And I like that because it makes it so much easier to understand, you know. Um, so another question, accrual versus cash, what's the best way for a small business to operate? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting because I love this about QuickBooks. You can say cash and then you can go back and click accrual so you can see both, right? But um, for managing your day-to-day -day business, I think it's important for small businesses to know where they are from a cash flow. Absolutely. Yeah. Because if they don't understand, they look at their numbers and they see that they've accrued revenue, but that revenue has not been converted. They haven't, the client hasn't paid their bill. So yes, it's revenue. So to separate the two, cash is what actually happened. You actually got that money in the bank. You actually spent that money. One of the two is something that you, is what you, like, for example, let's talk about the pay, like a, if we talk about revenue, you may have written a contract for somebody for a thousand dollars and you prefer you provided that servicer gave them they have their their product but they haven't paid you yet so on a cash basis you don't see that thousand dollars in your in your transactions yet because they haven't paid it but right. on an accrual basis you actually made that money already so on an accrual basis if you look at your financials it's going to show that you've made a thousand dollars this month on the cash basis, it's not going to be there until they pay it. So that's why it's important that if you're looking at accrual, you'll say, wow, we made 5000 Yeah, but you only collected 3000 of that. 2000 of that is still sitting as a accounts receivable. Right, right. Manage that. If you're not good at keeping all of those balls in the air, then cash is how you want to manage your business. But with a footnote, you have to still know what you what your balance is, especially if you're selling things on credit. Yeah. Then you have to know, because that's the other pitfall, right? You can like, wow, I sold all these things. Yeah, but when are the people going to pay you? And then a lot of small businesses businesses don't like owners, don't like being the collector. So they don't like going back to their clients and say, hey, your bill was due in 30 days or 15 days. It's now been 45 days. I need you to pay me. And then they end up now your product is gone or you've provided the service. And then here you are left kind of holding that exactly. back. Exactly. So rules of thumb that I tell my clients, you know, is the fact that if you can't put a 50% deposit down, okay, then I'm partnered with a finance company. I'll put you in touch with my finance company. You can finance, you know, what you need to do through them. I don't have to worry about it. I get my full price up front. Okay. They turn yeah. around, they pay me, and then they're only obligated to this finance company. But I tell my clients, when you're a small business, you want to be able to cover your overhead, cover your expenses before you start the work. So I tell them at least collect 50% of yeah, what that's smart. owed to you. Okay. Yeah. Front. That way you have the cash you need. But there are some clients who deal overseas, you know, shipping in products and things like that. And I tell them, okay, you've got to pay attention to that, say, 60, 90 day gap there between the time that you get the order and the time you get your first check or That's get right. payment of it. 
And how are you going to do that? Well, I refer them to um, uh, factoring or if it's a contract that the bank will recognize, you know, those kind of things or a line of credit to carry them through. Right. That's right. Okay. That's right. So that's what I explained to them. Now, um, talk about factoring and how factoring is basically where there's a company that will pay them what 80, 90% training with Christy at 115. We'll cut to our training with Christy at 115. All right. So let's just do it <laughs> again. So the way I explain it to them is factoring is when you will get probably 90% of your money up front. All right. And the factoring company takes over the billing and getting the money from the client. Now I says you have to understand the factoring company is the one they're going to be paying the factoring company. They're not paying you. All right. So when they send out invoices, it's in the name of the factoring company. It's not in your name. It's the factoring company. And then you, you might be down there on the letterhead or whatever. So what have you found with factoring? Well, all factoring is not created equal. Let's start yeah. there. You know, and I think, What's important is that they read the fine print because some fact, I, I mean, we know in every industry, there are people that are not as scrupulous as we'd love them to be, <laughs> you know, oh, and yes. seen a couple oh, of yes. small businesses get caught, you know, in, in a very compromising situation with their factors, because the factors do have the right to come in and get, if they advance you the money, then you, you know, depending on how, what that small print said, um, you know, they can come in and be business if God forbid your customers are not paying them back. And, you know, so I would just say, make sure you do your homework, check references, make sure you are talking to people, make sure that you don't just sign because you need the money. And I, I think the bottom line is don't go get a factor when you're in a tight, when you feel desperate, because right. it's what I find when people make deals that they then have a hard time, number one, getting out of, and number two, actually becoming prosperous. And, you know, there's the ultimate desire is that you're able to finance your own um, receivables, but some people, some companies factor forever, big companies factor. Well, it but depends on, yeah, it depends some, on the gap. That's right. That's exactly it right. It depends on salaries. It, it depends right. on a lot of things. Yeah. And if the cash flow, and especially if they're on an accrual basis and the cash flow just is not there, yeah. you know, um, you know, they, the, that's, it's the same thing as lines of credit, you know, in a way. That's right. Um, and it, it I, actually if I'm not mistaken, the average percentage is right around 3%. I believe for yeah, factoring. average, and there's some that will go higher if they think you're desperate, and that's why I say yeah. don't do it. And so I think to answer your point, though, answer your question, I think it's great for, especially with what you said, if it's a business that they're getting their inventory, and I know for some of my clients that order from overseas, they have to order in bulk, and they having to advance a lot more money, so they know they're going to be in the hole for a while as they. Yeah sell that product and, you know, cash flow gets like becomes a tight rope. I think it's important.
important that they think about one thing about factoring at any point you can say, I don't need to send this invoice to factoring, but if you're, you, so you have it all set up, they've done their due diligence, and then you can use them whenever you feel like you need it as a, as a backstop to, um, you know, to support you in your cash flow. but don't wait until you don't know how you're going to make payroll. You don't know how, and then you end up getting money that's very expensive and is hard to climb out from under. Again, um, let's get back to what you were saying as far as they have to order in bulk and they bring in bulk products and it's in the warehouse, okay, sitting on the shelf until they sell it or whatever. Can they go to a bank and can they borrow against that inventory? A credit loan? Depending on what it is. Depending yeah. on what it is. Yeah, no, that's because if it's something that's viable, like they're selling computers or phone, you know, cell phones or whatever, then yes. But I had a client that was selling puzzles and mm -hmm. she had to order a crate, like it was almost a year and a half supply at a time because she couldn't find a manufacturer that would just do, you know, 10 puzzles at a time, which makes sense. And then she went to, she thought, well, I'll go to the bank and get a loan, but the bank, they don't want puzzles. You know I mean? They, that wasn't considered viable and a viable asset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, if we, I just have a couple more questions, okay? And um, gosh, I can't remember what they were. That just bugs me when that happens. <laughs> oh, it all, it happens to all of us, no problem. No, it does, I know it does. Um, let's, uh, well, that's, you want yeah. me to share something while you're thinking about that? Yeah, the last minute tips. Well, I was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if we look at some of the critical things that people, mistakes people made, make, and then look at how we can mitigate those, I think the fundamental thing, and this is what it sounds like you're helping your clients with, is once they're clear on their financial strategy, that's, they have to take the time to do that. Someone say, I don't have time. You can't afford not to have time to look at your profit margin, look at your product mix. There are times that, like we said earlier, a product needs to be discontinued. It's no longer selling for whatever reason. It saturated the market or that version of it. And you have to be willing to be nimble with that. So creating the strategy, having your financial system support that strategy, like you mentioned, you're supporting them multiple cash flows, then they need their system to to capture those cash flows and they need to be capturing yeah. their direct costs and their all from their business financial transactions and they need to separate it and like I love what you said have a separate account for your sales tax your payroll taxes your income taxes so that you don't get caught up at the end of the year and then the people say well I'll put it back I'm gonna borrow that money for something and pay this bill and I'll put it back Never happened. Rarely, it doesn't happen. Rarely. And then you end up scare, scrambling, borrowing money that you need for your business to pay those bills um, right. when the time comes. Yeah. yeah. But I think fundamentally, if we think about financial statements as our friend and that they are there to help us look to the past to see what we can learn from there, manage the present, and also utilize it to, to project into the future, 
um, then it's, you know, that's a magical tools yeah. to have us be really smart. And have right. Right. Mm. Well, you know, I, I remember what my question is. <laughs> okay. So I can get, um, the, the last question I wanted to ask is a lot of times um, when I'm talking to my customers and I'll ask them, okay, how have you been financing your company to date? And it's self-financed. But then when I dig deeper, I find out they've um, taken out the equity in their home or they have taken out um, their 401, they've cashed in their 401k or something like that. And I try and teach them that, you know, first of all, cashing in your 401k and taking out the equity in your home can be more expensive than you realize because, you're paying 30% on the 401k when you take it out, right? Okay. And the equity in your home, you're going to be paying a certain percentage there as well, holding costs, you know, for that, unless you do a line of credit against your equity in your home. Um, so then you only take out what you need. What are your thoughts as far as utilizing this to fund your business especially when you are new in business and don't understand your numbers. Yeah. Well, bootstrapping, of course, is what all of that is, right? Just doing whatever you need to do to get your business going. I think some of that happens because we didn't sit down and think like I need X amount of money. If I, and this is what I tell my clients when they're starting a new business, a new venture, Assume you make no money for two years. How much money do you need to actually launch? Now, hopefully they're making money before that two years. But how much money, let's just say it's $200,000. Then we say, where is that money coming from? Coming from Many times, exactly what you said, they go to their own resources and start going, I have this much money saved. I have this much money in my 401k. I have this much money in credit cards. And if worst case scenario, I can get a line of credit. I say, okay, great. Let's say we do all that. So now you've pulled money from your 401k. You have tax implications for that. You have pulled money from your house. There's, there's consequences for that because technically I'm also a tax professional. If you don't use that to repair your house, the interest is not, a, you can't write it off on your home, but you can write it off for the business. But if the business is not, hasn't started making money, then it's a startup cost. So you can't even write it off yeah. initially. It has to be amortized over time. So then you have, so I have them look at all of this, say, now what you've now set yourself up for is $150,000 worth of debt and that you're going to start making money. You're going to make money, how much money per quarter, per month? It's going to take you five years to get out of this hole that you've dug for yourself. So what's important now is, so having them look to the future, I think is the critical component there yeah. because many times they're excited about the moment. Yeah. Like I said, it's always past, present, future. Yeah. They're excited about the present and they're not really thinking about, they have magical thinking for the future. Like, no, it's all going to work out. I'm, this product's going to make me a million dollars. I'm going to have a billion dollar, you know, cap value on the mind. I was like, what? No. So what I tell people, first of all, look for money that's free money. You know, cities have free. grants. 
grants. Yeah, yeah, go for grants first and do that before you start. Get your business plan together, not a 40-page business plan. No. Something simple that's executable that you can stand if you have to do a three-minute pitch on what you do and why that you can and that your audience can easily understand. Get as much free money as possible. That's the first thing. Second thing, get as much low interest money. Like from the SBA, they have very low, you can get micro loans, 50,000. You can get, there's other things. Now they take a little bit of time. That's why you want to think ahead. Right. You need 200,000, then you want to think ahead. Get the free money, get very low interest money, right? And then a line of credit, is a better choice in that if you're not using it, you don't have to pay a bill. It's more your backstop. Right. I recommend people don't use their house and don't use their their uh, their 401k if they yeah. Because I'm like if you don't if you don't have the money at least to start using those free money, low mm -hmm. interest money line of credit. If you can't do it with that, then I think we need to pause and reevaluate what you're doing. If you need 300,000 and you can only find 100,000 to get started, then we need to reevaluate where's that $200,000 coming from if we don't use your house and we don't use your 401k. Now, some people, they don't care. They're going to do it anyway. I understand yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I understand yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and, you know, we're talking about startup and, and, and bootstrapping and things like that. But once you get the business going, all right, and you've got an idea of what your product sales are, you know, and things like that. You know, too many times um, companies will run their business according to their bank account. And I tell them, if you're going to run the bank, your business according to your bank account, you're never going to get ahead. You've got to push yourself. So what you need to do is you need to be thinking in the sense of, okay, I want to do this this year. This is how much it's going to cost. How am I going to get that money? All right. Am I going to go out and I'm going to sell this much more product in order or services in order to pay for it? I tell anybody I work with, first of all, for my company, I says, I want you to worry about you put the program together and tell me how much it's going to cost. I'll go make the money. Okay. But we're going to continue. The other thing I tell them is if you're going to go into debt for anything, go into debt for revenue generation. Mm -hmm. All right. So make sure everything that you you um, borrow is going to go towards making more revenue. So, for instance, marketing costs that makes revenue, um, you know, uh, manufacturing new product. Uh, that makes more revenue. R&D could make more revenue, but there's a longer time period on that. So, you know, I, that's what I tell them. Right. Okay? If you're going to go into debt, don't do it to buy an office building when you can lease it or rent yeah. it. Don't go mm -hmm. into debt to buy a piece of equipment when you can lease it. <laughs> you know, because that is, you know, that is a a something that's first of all going to depreciate very quickly that's and you're right. not going to make your revenue back on it or your, your, you know, um, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. So. No, <laughs> well, I mean, the, the reality is you're giving them sound advice to hopefully keep their ankle. What I say out of a bear trap for right. the future, 
because right. sometimes they don't see the future. And I think that's as professionals, that's one of the gifts we bring is like, there's a predictable future here. If you get max out your credit card, take out money out of your 401k, max out what's available in your house. There's a predictable future here that does that's not pretty. So let's yeah. let's not, you know, because it's all risk, risk reward, right? So you right. want to make sure that the risk you're taking is, you know, definitely consistent definitely. with the reward you're expecting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all, folks. We're coming up on the end of another um, episode of Charged Up Studio. And Linnell, can you tell our audience how they can get a hold of you? Sure. So my email is linnell at linnellsplace.com. That's the best way is to email me. Okay. And you're also on LinkedIn. You I'm know. on LinkedIn and I'm on Facebook, all Linnell's Place. Instagram. Very good. <laughs> so I hope you were able to gain some insight into how to manage your finances and know your numbers uh, through this episode today. My name is Dana Olivo, your host and CEO of Marketatomy LLC. Charged Up Studio is brought to you each week on Tuesday and is part of the small business ecosystem developed with you in mind. If you would like more information on any of the programs offered to small business owners through marketatomy.com or marketatomy.academy, um, reach out to us at marketatomy.com. Until next week, go out and have a charged up week. Talk to you later. You've been listening to Charged Up Studio Live the podcast with you, the small business owner in mind, with your host, Dana Olivo. Join us every Tuesday as we bring you valuable tips and insights into many of the topics you don't know you don't know about growing a successful business. Please leave us a review on any of the streaming platforms you are listening to or visit us on the YouTube or Facebook page and leave a review or subscribe so you don't miss another episode. You can also support us through Patreon by visiting our website, chargedupstudio.live and click on the Patreon link. Until next week, go out and have a charged up week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.